Welcome to Her Own Boss, the podcast designed to help you find your inner entrepreneur. Her Own Boss is created by Lucy, Megan, Nikki, Ben, Sarah, and me, Anissa, as we start our careers and learn from the inspiring women who can help us along the way. Hey everyone, this is your host Nikki, and today I'm joined by Melissa Menke and Juliet Goldman for our International Women's Day special episode. Melissa is the founder and board chair of Access Athia, a social enterprise that provides high quality, affordable healthcare in Nairobi through both physical and digital solutions. Juliet is the head of strategic and external engagement at Barclays Business Bank and is dedicated to removing the barriers faced by women and other marginalized business owners. Now, even though International Women's Day comes just once a year, Julia and Melissa are constantly celebrating and supporting women in their communities. We discuss what this looks like in practice. First for Melissa, who works with Nairobi's informal settlements, and Juliet, who leads on Barclays' commitment to supporting female founders in the UK start and scale their businesses. I hope you enjoy and happy International Women's Day. This episode is sponsored both by Rise, created by Barclays, and Barclays Eagle Labs. Rise and Eagle Labs are on a mission to support female founders shape the future of entrepreneurship by providing access to networks, mentorship, and training. Search Rise, created by Barclays, or Barclays Eagle Labs to find out more. Hi, Juliet. Hi, Melissa. Hi. Hi. How are you guys doing? All right, I think. So far, so good today. Yeah, pretty good. Very good. Right. I've got three sort of icebreaker quickfire questions for you. Um, I'm going to jump right into it. I think I don't think these ones are too bad. Okay. So first one is tea or coffee. Melissa, you go first. Uh, Coffee, definitely. Juliet? Tea, without a doubt. (laughs) Interesting. I'm definitely a coffee girl. Right. If you could switch lives with anyone for a day, who would it be? Juliet? Oh, great question. Um, I think I'd go for Laura Marling, who's a fantastic musician and just very jealous of her incredible skills, both songwriting and singing. And I think it would just be amazing to be able to possess those skills just for one day. That is a very good answer. I also wish that I could sing. (laughs) (laughs) Melissa? Um, I would do a professional kite surfer just to see what you do with that type of uh, talent. Very cool. I would particularly love that now when we're in lockdown still here in the UK. I think that'll be a nice change of scenery. And then the final question is, which fictional character do you wish was real? Melissa, if we could start with you. Hmm. These are tricky. Um, (laughs) Can I go second? Do you have a good one, Juliet? No. What have you done to us? (laughs) I'm just thinking of all my favorite books, but like so many are really miserable. <laughs> no, I'm trying to think of one. I'm almost trying to think about what sort of bad guy punishes people that could be quite useful in in real life. Well, I'm happy to take those as your answers. I think they they say a bit about you anyway, which is the purpose of the quick fire questions. <laughs> Awesome. Right. So just um, to get started and for the benefit of our listeners as well, it would be great to get just a bit of an introduction into who you both are and what you both do. Um, so Juliet, do you want to kick off first with your intro? Sure. So my name's Juliet Gorman. I work at Barclays Business and I head up the strategic and external engagement team there. Um, so I do a lot of work working with the rest of the industry, with government and with business groups, all really focused on issues that face um, small businesses in the UK. Fantastic. And Melissa? 
My name is Melissa. I'm the founder of Access Afia. So we're an affordable primary health care company that operates in Nairobi, Kenya. And uh, I'm, I, I was the CEO for nine years and this year have transitioned into founder and executive board member. Fantastic. Thank you both. And on behalf of kind of the whole Her Own Boss team, we're really, really excited to have you both on um, for this episode. Um, and given this is our kind of International Women's Day special episode, I would just love to start with a question around how you both are sort of championing women and supporting women, whether that's through your work or in your own personal lives. Um, Melissa, do you want to kick off first? Yeah, sure. So so Access Afia was was essentially founded to work with some of the most vulnerable populations in in Kenya so specifically going into into informal settlements and you know unfortunately women are really part of these most vulnerable groups um you know you're 30 times more likely to die in childbirth if you were born as our patient than if you're born you know in the US or or other more developed health uh, oh, wow. economies um you know access to family planning is incredibly inconsistent. So, so just by sort of the, the nature of, of trying to improve basic and reliable health services, we're actually helping women both, you know, plan their families, decide if they want to invest in education um, before starting a family. And, and then when they do start a family, make sure that them and their, their baby um, come out healthy on the other end. That's awesome. And Juliet, how about you? Wow, how do I follow that? That's incredible. <laughs> Amazing work. Um, I think for me, when I when I started working in financial services, I was really surprised by how many rooms I'd be in and I'd be the only woman or I'd receive feedback saying I was too serene or not pressed enough. Yeah, I think everyone's heard that. But you know, I was I was really fortunate and and I had lots of other women and men mentor and sponsor sponsor me and make me realize that my style could actually be an asset and that I didn't need to be aggressive, just assertive. And they gave me a lot of opportunities to develop. So something that I've since tried to pass on to other women that I work with is to be there for them, to mentor them, work out what their career goals were, what skills they needed to develop, what opportunities they should seek out. Uh, and I think one of the things I've seen when working with women from all sorts of different backgrounds, different skills, different goals, but there are themes that are consistent across so many of them. You know, the issue of childcare is one, but I think also the issue around confidence, which is a topic that you've addressed so well on your podcast. But there is such amazing talent out there that it's just really important to support and help each other realize our ambitions. Yeah, I mean, both like, you know, listing out some amazing work there. And I think what we kind of hope to cover in the podcast in general, particularly through this episode, is how empowerment of women, you know, no matter how you do it or where you do it is is a really worthwhile activity. So I'm looking forward to kind of getting to know a little bit more about um, how both of you are kind of putting that work to action. I guess, Juliet, if we could start with you and kind of on the financial services side, um, I know that Barclays is a, a signatory of the Investing in Women Code. And so it would be just great to hear from you what that code is and why it's so important. And I think it's a topic we've kind of covered without giving it a name throughout the podcast, um, particularly around kind of women being able to access funding and being able to get their businesses up and running. Absolutely. So it's an initiative. It's led by the Treasury. And they wanted to shine a light on the many challenges faced by female entrepreneurs. So they conducted this review and it showed that if women were to start and scale business to the same degree as men, it could lead to a £250 billion boost to the UK economy. Mm. Absolutely huge. 
So they they devise this code to try and spur the industry um, into action, both in terms of enhancing transparency, but also getting the industry to better support women. Uh, and I am pleased to say that Barclays um, is a founding signatory of the code. Um, and so whilst the challenges that women face, they're complex, they're varied, some of these are like really deep-seated structural issues, they're not going to change overnight. So we've launched like a longer-term three-year commitment. Um, and on, on this, we're trying to help 100,000 women across the UK to start up and run businesses. Secondly, around you pointed out that issue of um, finance, we're trying to help women connect with the investment and support they need to grow. Uh, and then lastly, looking at providing skills for this generation and the next to help them into entrepreneurship. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And I guess, Melissa, it would be good to kind of hear from you at this point around what some of the challenges were that you faced um, when starting up Access Afia, whether you think that's kind of attributable to your identity as a woman or just, you know, general things that entrepreneurs struggle with. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the hard things is um, there are a lot of challenges and you never quite know if <laughs> if any particular mm-hmm. one you can you can pin down to your gender because you, you've only lived <laughs> in one body. Um, so it's, it's sometimes hard. Um, I, I certainly have to say I started a, a really difficult business. And what I mean by that is it was ambitious in the kind of social impact side of what we were trying to do. So we could have gone for, you know, an emerging middle class market and made a lot more money. And we said, no, we want to be the first mover in the slum. No one's touching it. It's where half of the, the you know, global cities are, you know, let's go there. So that made it hard to raise capital because I think that, you know, that that sort of incredibly high risk um, you know, model, uh, we, we were certainly a bit too commercial for um, for the kind of donor community, but uh, potentially a bit too ambitiously down market for, for more conventional capital. So so that was sort of one, one of our, our big challenges. And I think that's more of just the nature of um, impact investing being still a quite nascent space with, with kind of actors completely across the spectrum in terms of their their risk appetite and it usually takes you a few hours to to figure out where any one potential investor lies on that um spectrum i think that you know of course another problem um you know it just comes down to to the power of of networks and so you know i think your second business is easier to start than your first not just because of your experience but also because of your your network and 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 as a first venture um you know, coming more from from the space of of housing and urban development, you know, instead of sort of from financing um, or, or finance, it it was a you know an uphill battle to to build the networks um, that ultimately get you capital, um, because that's what you're doing in the early stages. You're finding individuals and angels who will who will trust you um, as you bring something that's an idea to, to life in the real world. Um, and I think, I think finally, I think one of our challenges is we're a tech enabled business. So, so we still needed to invest in, in people and brick and mortar to, to get our value proposition working, which, which both takes, you know, capital to actually build the clinic <laughs> to showcase sort of our, our, our innovative process design and everything we're trying to do differently inside of that physical space. Um, but it definitely also, you know, once again, um, made it a little bit harder to talk to conventional tech investors, um, mm-hmm. you know, because there was this very physical side of, of the business that, that you needed to get buy-in as to why that's still, 
is an important part of, of delivering healthcare, which it is. Um, but but that's just sort of one more hurdle to, to get over when when trying to sell your vision, or in our case, trying to sell our vision. Yeah, definitely. And I, I would be interested to know as well. Um, so Juliet mentioned when she entered the financial services industry, she was often looking around the room and realizing she was the only woman there. Do you have any similar experiences being an entrepreneur? Um, I know that obviously the I guess the representation of female founders differs across industries. Would you say that health tech is one of those industries that's doing quite well? Or is it one where you look around the room and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm the only female founder here. And if that's the case, do you think it impacts how people ask you questions or or how they interact with you? You know, honestly, when I started this business almost 10 years ago, it wasn't like I was the only woman. It was just like, I was like the only one. And so you're trying to say, why would you do healthcare? You know, when you could do microfinance or solar, which were sort of the other impact sectors active in Kenya that had a lot more, you know, research and capital and, and you know, activity going on in them. So I think battle number one is just, you know, being, feeling alone, not, not even isolated in a room, but just sort of isolated maybe outside of, the room completely. Um, I guess sort of fast forward to what the scene looks like now, because there's been a lot more activity and investment in this space over the over the last ten years. Um, I do think that the field here is a bit more balanced. I mean, I do think that um, there there are definitely some ambitious, you know, women led health tech ventures operating in East Africa, which which is the the market I know best. I do think that there are still you know unique challenges to to women raising capital, um, but but at least there are others there, which means that that also on the investor side, they're they're getting pitches for multiple women, and and there's a little bit more of an opportunity, I think, for for investors to at least see, you know, maybe um, the differences in how a female and a male might pitch, um, because you have a higher number of of women approaching you and pitching you for funding, which I think, you know, potentially helps us get you know kind of bridge that gap to to more equal access to capital. And Julia, how do you feel kind of hearing all of this? You obviously have a lot of experience interacting with lots of different founders. Do you kind of, does any of that resonate with you? Do you think these are common challenges? Absolutely. Yeah, literally everything you're saying is just sort of resonating so much with what we've seen. I mean, the the original review, it focused on three fundamental challenges, all of which you've listed there around one access to finance. You know, you're looking across the whole of the finance ecosystem, so including VCs and banks, women just aren't getting access to the same level of funding. Secondly, around family care responsibilities, you know, women still have majority of responsibility when it comes mm-hmm. to family care. And then lastly, the, the skills issue and, and the networking side as well. You know, I think it's interesting. Women are less likely to believe they possess entrepreneurial skills, not have them, but believe they have them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're also less likely to have access to, to mentoring and, and networking. But on the flip side, they're more likely to value them than men. Um, and it was similar when we started to look internally at our own customers, we saw similar trends. You know, firstly, there are far fewer of them. They, they tended to be smaller. Um, the sector skew that they had was, was different. 
Um, you know, the finance question was quite interesting because when we looked at the differences in finance, actually the biggest difference we saw was in how many were applying for finance. They're far less likely to apply for finance rather than rather than get it. Um, but we've been sort of tracking how they've been doing through COVID, which has obviously had such a devastating impact on so many businesses, but it has had a bigger impact on female-led businesses. You know, they're, they're far more likely to operate in the sectors that have been most impacted by lockdown measures like hospitality and, and leisure then of course the issue um, around childcare. there was there was this quote that stuck in my mind from a report that the female founders forum did and it said when everyone was forced to work from home the men got the home office and the women got the kitchen table and yeah. i just thought oh yeah <laughs> that sums it up yeah so you'll see you know similar similar themes come over and over around you know the confidence issue the skills issue work-life balance and then those questions on finance and it, it can impact women at all stages um, of their business you know first of all am I ready do I have all the knowledge that I need to start a business then how to manage the demands of running a business with growing a family how, how do I grow you know is it too risky to expand my business what are the right networks uh, and I think from what I've seen, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that women are risk averse, but I think they they are more risk aware. They want more knowledge. They want to understand what are all of the different permutations and options out there before they can make uh, informed decisions. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I think that's a good summary of of those points. Sorry, Melissa, were you going to jump in there? Yeah, I mean, I th- I think that point of women weren't even necessarily less likely to get funding, but they were certainly less likely to ask is a really powerful one because I know. I personally always felt, especially in the earlier stages, that I had to get something right and then ask for money to grow it. You know, whether whether that thing was, you know, a, a product demo or the or a process or even just, you know, let me wait another month or two till the numbers look, you know, because we're growing and, and they'll look even better. Whereas I think that that, you know, more confident and, and male founders might have said, well, I need the money now to to get this right, <laughs> you know, to to perfect the product demo, to continue this early growth we're starting to see. Um, and, and so I, I certainly know that that really resonated with me and how I've, you know, behaved in raising money for, for my business. I, I, again, I've seen that in other female business owners when we were, you know, talking to lots of different ones at different stages. And there would be these examples of women running their business and thinking, um, you know, having a question about how they valued their services and, you know, getting the sense that actually maybe they should increase prices, but not wanting to, being worried about what the impact that might be or having those conversations or waiting for somebody to say, give them feedback that it's like, this is so brilliant, you should increase your prices, which is obviously you know, not going to happen, but it's that sort of that waiting for that permission point. Whereas as you say, other other people might approach it differently. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And, you know, I've probably not spoken to as many female founders as either of you, but even just from doing this podcast, I think what's been really interesting is how a lot of particularly the young women that we have on who are kind of at university or leaving university is they'll have, they'll have a side hustle and that will be their business. And I think it's clever because they're allowing themselves to work full time and support themselves while starting up this business. But I think it's also kind of, as you were saying, Juliet, they're they're risk aware and they're thinking, okay, if I'm not ready to take that leap yet and do the business full time, then I'll do it on the side. And I think it'll be interesting to see how that evolves in the future if more women start just tackling it full on or if this sort of side hustle culture will continue into the future. Yeah. And there are are advantages to it in that 
Um, you know, some other research we've seen is that, you know, women, that they're more likely to have formal business plans. They're more likely to seek external guidance from accountants, from lawyers. So, you know, they're probably, you know, safer prospects, really. But it, it, it's kind of that, how do you play into the, this could put you a, a, an, an advantage, but still sort of being aware of some of the other things that might be holding you back as well. Yeah, no, I think that's really interesting. And I think it kind of brings me on to the next question I wanted to ask, which is sort of less focused on the differences or the challenges, but more on where can women actually get support? Um, so Julia, I'd love to start with you and hear what support that um, the industry has available for women um, and kind of female founders in general. Yeah, I mean, please say there is there's so much out there. Um, and one of the things I've been really heartened to learn is that the crisis has actually led to more young women wanting to start a business. So for all of you listeners out there thinking about starting a business, no, you're not alone. Uh, and we've got lots of fantastic tools and services that we built to really try and address some of the challenges that we've been talking about. Um, so we've got a range of local events. We've got lots of mentoring available via our UK-wide network of Eagle Labs and Rise Hubs. You know, we get really fantastic feedback from these. Either somebody's had like been really inspired by an amazing speaker that they've heard or they've learned something new or even just finding like-minded individuals that you can connect with and, and bounce ideas off and expand your network. I know at Point Melissa, you were talking about the importance of that as well for your business. Um, I mean, through our life skills program as well, we've got a lot of content available, both for school age and older, focusing on really practical ideas, like how do you develop a business idea? And then how do you actually turn that idea into a reality? Um, I mean, we also, we set up the Female Founders Forum in partnership with the Entrepreneurs Network, uh, which is a really fantastic organization. You know, it's where women can connect, they can network, they can find different mentoring opportunities as well. Um, and if that sounds like a lot to take on and everyone's trying to find pens to, to scribble it all down, please to say that we've actually tried to help you navigate through all the information available. So at Barclays, we have built a women in business hub at our Barclays business site. Hopefully, Nikki, we can put a link somewhere to guide all of your listeners towards. But it brings together all these useful elements. You know, it's got really practical tools on how you write a business plan, cash flow tools, checklists on how you navigate through COVID, um, and then also links to how you find out about different events. So please do go and check it out. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant sales pitch. There's so much going on and so much support. Um, I have looked through it myself. And, you know, Melissa, for you, what's what's been the best support you've received or where do you go when you're facing these challenges and you need a bit of help? So I think at, at this stage, uh, luckily, I have some really great advisors and mentors. And so that's that's where I go. Some of whom are investors in the business, some of whom are just good, good friends of the business, but that's sort of always the first go. And, and I think the best thing is when you can have that type of, you know, mentorship with somebody where it's, it's comfortable enough that you can reach out for quick help. <laughs> um, you know, just, a, you know, maybe, maybe yeah. a WhatsApp or does this look okay? Um, and then, and then sort of do a deeper dive as needed. So 100% that's been the um, the kind of best type of support. And I think that groups, you know, like Female Founders First, um, where we reconnected with, with Barclays initially, did a really good job of prioritizing that within their support, but also previous programs we've been in have made those those connections. Yeah, that's great. I think, yeah, the importance of networks and having connections has come up a couple of times already in this episode. I think it's so important. Kind of changing 
topic a little bit, Melissa, I wanted to ask um, a bit more about um, your experience as a female founder of a health tech company in particular. Do you think that there are any sort of benefits to you being kind of the founder and previously being CEO? Um, and then also how you've kind of built a team around you that reflects the sort of communities you're operating in? Yeah, so I think I think first, one of the benefits is our business is built around improving the experience of getting healthcare. So there's, there's of course, the, the tech angle, which helps us be more efficient and cost effective. There's, you know, there, there's process work we're doing, but, but at its core, by being a venture in a low income settlement, people really do have to choose us, you know, over a status quo of maybe doing nothing or, you know, traveling to, to a charitable hospital. Um, waiting in line all day, you know, and, and they have to choose us because of excellent service, because they, they don't perceive all of the back end things we're doing to to quality share and scale the experience. They they perceive their individual experience. So I think the first thing I'll say is I've I put an emphasis very early on on taking more of a human centered design approach to the full healthcare journey. You know, how do you feel when you walk in? How do you feel, you know, w- within um you know, our our consultation rooms, you know, how do you feel after the visit? And we've designed in, you know, really simple things like we text message every single patient three days after their visit to check on them and see if they're feeling better. You know, it's one of our patients' favorite things about us. It sounds quite simple and obvious, but I've never had anyone, you know, any healthcare provider do that, you know, to me before. So, so there's a lot of simple things we really built in when we did this intensive journey mapping. Um, I think, I think another sort of thing that I, I brought to the table was, you know, h- how to think about communication strategies. You know, I ran marketing for, for the first few years and the reality is we, we did our market research and women really make the decisions around healthcare for the family. So even if, you know, our patient split is about 55% women, 45% male, but but the oftentimes you know the, the males in our patient database are you know our children our teenagers and it is the women in their lives that are sort of urging them to go to to our clinic over over another facility, and so we had to think about you know how do we um, how do women make decisions and and in our market they make it through their friends and so we had to find ways to make our marketing you know prioritize referrals brand ambassadors you know community integration and have that you know way you know, way much more strongly in how we plan our marketing than, than things like, you know, radio or, or other sort of um, spots that, that might not actually hit, hit the decision makers that we have to hit. Um, and, and then how have I built, you know, a team around me to continue to take the, the mission forward? You know, the, the f- honestly, it, it, it took years, but I, I have an incredible team right now. Um, I, the, the team has a really interesting mix of people with backgrounds in clinical practice. You know, so we have both our frontline healthcare workers, but also on our internal kind of headquarters team. Um, you know, we have two physicians on the leadership team. We have people with that background in, in public health, um, in nursing and pharmacy that kind of make up that team with, um, you know, our product and engineering team, you know, with, with people from the operations side. Um, besides myself, every other full-time member of the team is is Kenyan, um, and, and one of the things that I'm really proud of is we have a program that prioritizes hiring uh, certain roles 
uh, prioritizes candidates from the informal settlements where we work. So about a third of the company today, about 30%, um, comes from informal settlements, which means that we stay really close to our target users um, because they're a big chunk of, of the company today. Yeah, I think that's that's amazing. And I think all of that stuff you're talking about, about doing your customer research and figuring out where and how your patients make these decisions is really good sort of business sense. But then I think your point around women making the decisions for their family in terms of healthcare is really interesting and kind of links back to what we were talking about at the start of the episode um, about the importance of empowering women and how it kind of, I guess, brings you know the community up with them as well. Um, so Julia, I'd love to hear from you kind of what some of the strengths you see in female founders that you've worked with and also any benefits as well for the, the wider kind of economy or, or community to having more female founders. I mean, so, so many, it was interesting, again, another point that you touched on there around the importance of community. And I think the way that you approach your business, it's, it's less transactional. And I think mm-hmm. that's actually something that I've heard has been a real asset for other female founders. Um, there was one that we worked with who runs the Pud Store, Fran Bishop, fantastic entrepreneur. Uh, and she was telling me the story of how she had to pivot her business, which was um, a retail store for children's clothing into uh, quickly make it digital um, because of COVID. Um, but rather than just sort of focusing on the sales bit, she really focused on what are the additional like touches that you can do to, she include, like, included like personalized notes, for example, to um, to each of the customers and she um, set up different sort of communities and hubs within it so not only is that sort of creating something that's just bigger than just a simple store selling clothes is creating this community but then it's also it's good business sense because then you get all of the repeat um, business but not just that they tell their friends they tell their friends and again you're expanding your network with different ways of marketing out so there are all of those aspects that are just like a real positive asset for, for, for women as well uh, and then I think you know I've touched on some of the other parts that women tend to do around the the, the planning the wanting more knowledge you know it might be like less gung-ho but actually it just makes really sound business sense um, so I think leaning into some of those strengths but I think from the financial services industry, what we can do better at is, you know, better at explaining, better at putting all of that information out there so that women can make those decisions. I think to your point around what's the importance of this, well, you know, it's it's critical to have a diverse um, ecosystem. This is not a zero-sum game. If women do better, then the whole country is going to do better. Um, so it, 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 it's, it's, there's a big sort of moral importance as well as it being just playing good business sense as well. Yeah, no, completely agree. And so towards the end of every episode, we like to kind of ask our guests what sort of advice they'd have either for themselves or for others. Um, And I I think this is going to be kind of an interesting one. So what advice would you give to your younger self? And then what advice would your younger self give to you? Um, Which I think is an interesting way to turn the question around. Um, Melissa, if I could start with you first. I think the advice I would give to my younger self is you know first of all it takes time (laughs) you know so so of course you want to learn quickly um and 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 get your product out there but it takes a lot of time so so be patient and really build a good team around you which doesn't just have to be employees but you know supporters and advisors and you know 
other founders that you can talk to after a hard day. So, so that would be the advice I'd give to my younger self. I think that my younger self <laughs> would tell me, um, you know, to stay, to stay idealistic, um, to continue to think about our challenges, you know, as design challenges and, um, and, and continue to, you know, use a lot of creativity and, um, you know, HCD as we, as we build new products and, and tackle new things. Um, so I, I, I think that's what would happen in the reverse way. I love it. And Juliet, how about you? I think what I'd say to my younger self is to not let fear prevent you from trying something. You know, I really have a mantra of what's the worst that can happen? Uh, and I think, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which a pandemic, apparently, um, but, you know, when you get more experience and things do go wrong and they will go wrong, it's inevitable. But when you come out the other side and you've survived, you've learned from it, you know, it really helps chip away at that boulder that's in front of you telling you to stop. You know, I can I can bring this to life a bit. I think when I, when I started my career, I was at a small consultancy, and my my boss let me do this big important pitch to prospective clients, uh, and I was nervous, you know, really excited. And then I got up there and I was doing my spiel, thinking that yeah, I'm smashing this. And then uh, I look around and realise that this guy in the front has fallen asleep. No. <laughs> yes. Yes. Just just started oh, no. to snore quite loudly. Is what exactly. So, you know, obviously you're like, oh, oy. and you start to think, am I that dull? Um, but, you know, you, I got through it and I, and I really learned and I improved my delivery style and I learned the importance of engaging an audience and bringing them in with you rather than just like talking at them. And of course, the importance of making sure everyone has coffee beforehand as well. <laughs> you, know, you kind of you go, you go and you survive, you know, and I've, I've got so many of these. Like there was this other time I was giving a presentation over a hundred people in an office. Do you remember offices? They were nice places. <laughs> um, but uh, they had, I don't know if you recall, but they always used to have like the sections on the floor where the plugs were and all the equipment and things. Yeah. So there I am in full flow in front of hundreds of people. And then my stiletto heel gets stuck. No. And I thought, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> flat on my face. It's your worst nightmare. It's the one thing you think, what do I not want to happen? But again, you know, you, you learn from this. I, I I survived, you know. Obviously the main thing I learned was to switch to block heels away from stiletto. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was one of those things and you kind of I lent into it. I made a joke of it. It was absolutely fine and, and definitely no one fell asleep in, in, in that presentation. So I think once you've kind of gone, gone gone through all of those, you think it's it's it will be okay you know um and then I guess it, to, to flip it I think that's a bit harder isn't it but advice that my younger self would give me now I'd say probably use use your time wisely and keep trying to learn new things I think it, it gets it gets harder as you get older you know you've got work and life balance and family responsibilities I've got I've got a two-year-old son who takes up most of my non-working energy yeah. uh, and I think combined with the effects of lockdown a, a lot of people worlds have just gotten really small um by by necessity we, we've had to retreat but as this passes and it shall pass um I think my younger self would want me to step out and, and look up that's good advice I'm still thinking about you tripping on the office floor I'm sorry I probably shouldn't be <laughs> <laughs> it was a classic 
it's on my mind forever but it was just it was quite funny in the end it has to be said and a huge health and safety risk as well so when the plug sockets are on the floor you can tell that that was maybe male-centered design and not female-centered design (laughs) absolutely absolutely it was no way a woman would design those in the floor or the grates in the pavements (laughs) (laughs) there you go Another, another business case for female entrepreneurship then Absolutely. (laughs) Um, I guess I've got another advice-based question. Um, I think this one's more, again, geared around female entrepreneurship. And if you could give, um, I guess, a young woman who is really thinking about starting a business but doesn't quite have the confidence to, what one piece of advice would you give her to kind of help help her over that hurdle? Well, it's such a hard question because you want to say, just go for it. (laughs) But that's not very practical (laughs) advice. Pitch your friends, you know, I guess, like, um, because you'll either get a lot of support or you'll get the types of questions that will help you clarify your thinking um, that will make it much stronger by the time you ultimately decide to to just go for it. Yeah, that's great advice. I go, yeah, I think I go for something similar. I'd say things that give me confidence, I think, is, is knowledge, preparation and, and listening as well. So if I have a big event or important meeting and negotiation, make sure I know the topic inside out, game it through. Do what Melissa said about like have somebody chuck the hardest possible questions at you. You know, what's the weakest point of your business plan? And then make sure you focus um, on that area and have all of your questions sorted such that by the time the time comes and you have to go in and, and, and present, you know that there's not an element of that story that you don't know inside out or that you're not prepared for. Um, and then I think on the on the listening front, you know, it, it helps you learn, it helps you react and adapt. But I think it can also give you confidence. And I know something I hear a lot from um, young women is it, the perception that they don't necessarily belong in the room. You know, why should I be there? Um, and I think when you actually listen to what's going on more often than not, you'll realize when other people are talking, you'll think, well, yeah, I knew that. Or, yeah, I, I could have made that point. And then you realize yes, I do. I do deserve to be here. And I deserve to have my voice heard. Yeah, that's great advice as well. And it kind of preempts um, my final question, which I ask all guests. um, And it's what gives you confidence. Um, So Juliet, you kind of answered, I don't know if there's anything you wanted to add to your answer as well. Nope, sorry, already did it. (laughs) (laughs) We can fix that in the edit though, can't we? absolutely all right well Melissa then what gives you confidence well at this stage I think track record so it's 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 not just I don't just mean that in terms of you know accolades I I actually mean we have 10,000 patients every month using our service it's working so so when, when you really feel like again maybe this is a bit of a um a female response, but when you actually have perfected what you're doing, you know, you know, you know, it's working, you know, you're good at it, then it becomes much easier to sell and convince other people to, to, you know, just see what you see. Yeah, agreed. Well, thank you both so much for coming on the podcast. I've absolutely loved it. Um, It's been a really interesting and insightful conversation. Thanks for listening to this special International Women's Day episode. Together, Let's continue supporting and championing each other and women around the world. If you enjoyed the episode, then please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating. It helps with our visibility so that even more amazing women like you can find her own box. 
You can find out more about us at herownboss.co.uk or by searching Her Own Boss Podcast on Instagram and LinkedIn.